X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Thursday, June 24th. Today, back in the day on June 24th, 2007, Oregon State secured their second consecutive baseball national championship. Despite winning the championship title the year previous, the Beavers actually entered the tournament unseated with a losing conference record in the regular season. But that didn't stop them from pushing through the postseason tournament to become one of the final eight teams in the College World Series. It took place in Omaha, Nebraska that year at the historic Rosenblatt Stadium. The Beavers stepped onto the field five times and managed to win each and every one. To this day, Oregon State remains the first and only team to win the College World Series after having posted a losing conference record. Today, back in the day on June 24, 1916, Mary Pickford became the first female film star to sign a million-dollar contract. Pickford was a pioneer in the American film industry and co-founder of the Academy Award-winning Pickford Fairbanks Studios. She's considered a significant figure in the development of film acting, nicknamed Queen of the Movies by her adoring fans. And in 1929, she became the second ever recipient of the Academy Award for Best Actress. She's remembered for her long-lasting and glass-ceiling breaking presence in Hollywood and honored by theaters and stages around the country. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines and we have an interview with Joanne Jewell, executive editor of Street Roots. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. A key wildfire bill will progress despite pushback. The bill sets aside nearly $200 million for new programs to mitigate the impact of summer wildfires. It would bolster recovery, help communities deal with smoky air, and amend building codes for structures in high-risk areas. After a destructive wildfire season last year, the bill is one of the legislative session's most high-profile bills and a key piece of Democratic policy. So it's no surprise that the bill is facing major pushback from Republicans. In short, Republicans fear that the bill would too heavily regulate rural communities. They argue that the bill's changes to building codes would increase costs and add red tape for people looking to develop forest areas. The bill would also require builders in high-risk areas to remove trees and vegetation that are too close to homes. Homeowners whose property was destroyed in last year's fires won't be subject to these restrictions, though. That way, they will be able to rebuild their lost homes faster. Despite criticism, SB 762 progressed out of subcommittee on a 6-4 vote and now must get approved from the full Joint Means and Ways Committee. And now your daily dose of data. At least 47% of Oregon's 89 lawmakers say they're vaccinated against COVID-19, according to a survey by The Oregonian. None of them said they were unvaccinated per se, but 7% declined to answer the question. Still, 46% of Oregon's lawmakers didn't respond to the survey at all. Unsurprisingly, there was a stark divide along party lines. 75% of Oregon's Democratic lawmakers reported that they were fully immunized. Meanwhile, just one Republican lawmaker, or 3% of the party's representatives, said they had been vaccinated. The other 33 Republican members either didn't respond to the survey 
or decline to answer the question. Four Portland Thorns players are joining the U.S. Olympic women's soccer team. The team's roster includes midfielders Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan, goalkeeper Adriana French, and defender Becky Sauerbrunn. This is Sauerbrunn's third time at the Olympics. Each time, she has served as team captain. She even won gold with the U.S. team in the 2012 London Summer Olympics. Dunn and Horan were previously at the 2016 Summer Olympics, while French is making her Olympic debut. Portland's players are four of just 20 women selected to represent the United States in women's soccer this summer in Tokyo. In late July and early August, they'll face off against Sweden, New Zealand, and Australia. In the wake of mass resignations, the sheriff's riot squad will step back from crowd control as well. All 50 members of Portland's rapid response team resigned on June 16th, claiming a lack of support from Portland's leaders. Now, a 15-member county-level law enforcement team will also limit their confrontations with demonstrators. President of the Multnomah County Deputy Sheriff's Association, Matt Ferguson, said, quote, We're probably going to greatly restrict our activities. I don't think it's in our members' best interest to go clear riders from the streets. After a year of protests, city, county, and federal law enforcement are facing a host of lawsuits over excessive use of force and unconstitutional riot control tactics. Additionally, Portland police are facing a facing staff shortages as the job faces renewed scrutiny and criticism on a local and national level. The Portland Business Alliance penned a letter condemning political violence. It also vowed not to give campaign contributions to political candidates who support political violence or fail to condemn it. The letter denounced bigotry and hate violence, but failed to specify the exact types of prejudice the businesses oppose. Language in the letter suggests that the PBA is concerned with the rise in far-right extremism. The letter skewers politicians who use conspiracy theories and prejudice to raise more funds. Additionally, the letter was written with help from the Western State Center, a group that works to advocate for democratic ideals. The group's executive director, Eric Ward, has condemned far-right protesters who target Portlanders and stage violent demonstrations. Still, the letter seems to take a broad, blanket approach and does not single out either the political right or left. For instance, downtown business owners and Mayor Ted Wheeler have been vocally opposed to racial justice demonstrators who engage in property destruction. Wheeler has even gone as far as to encourage the public to confront and unmask demonstrators who cover their faces. Considering that the Western State Center and the Portland Business Alliance are some of Mayor Wheeler's most public supporters, it's likely that this letter's vague language could include leftist protesters as well. And finally, some good news. Portland's public pools are open once again. Just in time for a massive heat wave, all seven outdoor pools and four indoor pools will be open to the public. Small groups of six people will be allowed in each pool at a time. Groups will need to be registered through an online app. Swim lessons and water exercise classes will also be available. So get a swimming pod together and remember to stay cool and hydrated next week. As we are approaching unseasonably hot weather, X-Ray FM would like listeners to know about Multnomah County Cooling Centers. Multnomah County will open cooling centers from 1 to 9 p.m. beginning Friday, June 25th 
and extend through at least Monday, June 28th, providing a cool place for people in need. Anyone that needs transportation assistance to get to a cooling center can dial 211 locally. You can also find cooling centers at the Oregon Convention Center located at 777 Northeast MLK, the Sunrise Center at 18901 East Burnside, and in Arbor Lodge at the 1952 North Lombard inside the former pharmacy at Denver and North Lombard. Additional cooling centers may be added throughout the weekend. More information can be found at multco.us or by calling 211. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Street Roots Executive Editor Joanne Jewell speaks about this week's issues surrounding summer reads and local independent bookstores in Portland. I don't know if you're familiar with Street Roots, but you should definitely get familiar with Street Roots. Uh, Street Roots' latest issue is all about summer reads. Uh, here to give us some recommendations and tell us more about indie bookstores is Joanne Zuhl, executive editor of Street Roots. How are you doing, Joanne? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. I'm so glad to hear from you. Uh, Street Roots is one of my favorite publications. Oh, well, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. One of mine, too. Yeah, I mean, you you all do amazing work. Uh, so this week's issue of Street Roots is called Summer Reads. Uh, what did you choose to cover in this issue? Well, we cover a lot. The The paper is packed, and um, we, keeping with Street Roots, obviously, the theme on uh, recommendations was social and environmental justice, and that that meant whether it was nonfiction or fiction, and all of the books that are featured here are available through local booksellers or at the library. Um, and and this is like we—it's a diverse collection. This is from science fiction to poetry to metaphysical, psychological, and philosophical uh, exploration. So there's something I think for everyone. And you know, often social justice and environmental justice can be pretty heavy stuff, but. Uh, a lot of it's quite positive, and um, even some of it's from, we have a section that are recommended from kids, which which are wonderful and really deep, and that's like almost like the first place I'm going to go to. Some of those books are just look fascinating, and it's disheartening to see these recommendations and just the, the spectrum of things people can choose from. Yeah, um, you're also featuring a piece on the survival of indie bookstores. Um, what did you learn within that uh, research? Well, this is actually, it's really, it focuses on the journey of Michelle Lewis and Charles Hanna, who just on June 20th, just this, this month, um, celebrated the grand opening of Third Eye Books, Accessories, and Gifts. And that, to our research, is the only black-owned brick-and-mortar bookstore in Oregon. Uh-huh. Um, now, launching this, um, it, it really, and a lot of this was driven because the past year has been such, has created such an expanding interest in Black history and race race relations that it really like signaled for uh, Michelle and Charles that this was the time to actually open a brick and mortar bookstore, despite you know the challenges to uh, independent bookstores and just business small businesses in general. But you know they're riding a wave and it's going gangbusters and and of course you know it's it's a challenging time for for small bookstores. So uh, pretty interesting situation and really heartening to see them you know, have their grand opening and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love to have them on. I I really want to talk to them. Uh, I was reading about uh, the opening of the store, and I wonder if it's, uh, do you know if it's any relation to Third Eye that used to be on Hawthorne? To my knowledge, it's not. I have no idea. I think that that was a different 
uh, entirely different uh, kind of store, to my knowledge. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I know, but I also thought maybe there there was something uh, that they was related, but um, but yeah. So Third Eye Books and uh, and uh, uh, also we've lost a lot of indie book spaces over the last like you know 15 years since the since people have been ordering on the internet and people have moved away from actual mm-hmm. books and that type of thing uh to actual physical books <laughs> so uh people should definitely check that out um also uh we're concerned uh, obviously about the heat wave coming up as well as uh the eviction moratorium for uh our marginally housed and houseless uh people um can you give us an update on the coverage of the state of the eviction moratorium right well we had a story a couple of weeks ago about this and since then a lot has happened um the Oregon House and Senate have each passed Senate Bill 278, which would protect renters from eviction if they can't pay their rent on July 1st. That was uh, the date that was kind of the cliff there for the last moratorium to expire, and which still technically does. Um, that bill, however, that uh, relief uh, only applies to renters who can show their landlords that they apply for federal rental assistance, uh, even if the mm-hmm. funds haven't arrived. So there's been a process now for for renters to apply for that rental assistance that has this deal that compensates uh, landlords and assists renters. So this delay that Senate Bill 278 gives only applies to those people who have applied for that assistance. Um, of course, what this really does is it buys time for the state to distribute uh, what is like more than $200 million in federal rent assistance that's available to these renters and landlords but hasn't gotten out the door. Um, so that's what this bill does right now. It's really kind of a delay thing. There's still a lot of push to actually extend the eviction moratorium. Um, again, it's just been a dizzying wave of all these uh, eviction moratoriums, foreclosure moratoriums, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on one after the other. Um, it's interesting that the Oregon State Bar, well, it's actually great that the Oregon State Bar on, um, well, that's tomorrow, Thursday, tomorrow, 20, June 24th, they are going to be hosting a webinar at noon to really provide guidance to tenants and landlords about up-to-date state laws about evictions and rents. So if anyone's confused about where they stand on this, what paperwork they need to apply for, you know, what's the current situation, they can watch that webinar at osbar.org. And I believe the video will be available after tomorrow noon. So if someone isn't able to watch it, then they can check in at that time. They can check in at a later date. Okay, great. So it's OSBAR, so it's Oregon State Bar, OSBAR.org, and that's going to be at noon tomorrow, and you can find out exactly how to apply for uh, federal eviction moratorium money, as well as find out what you need to do to protect yourself against eviction uh, when as we're coming out of this eviction moratorium. Uh, and do you know how many people are affected by the eviction moratorium at this point? Like how many people are being threatened with housing? Um, there, you know, there's no exact number because so much of this is just private landlords and, and tenants, but I believe it's like more than 6,000 people are still hanging in the balance at this point. Wow. That's so many people. I really hope that, uh, we oh, yeah. can pull out of this without a lot of people losing their homes. Cause that's just, it's, it's so stressful as far as, uh, the, ho- there's about 16,000 houseless people in Portland or in Oregon in general, let alone uh, with the eviction moratorium. And it's just going to make that situation worse, you know? And I think yeah, it's, 
And it's so confusing. I mean, these are incredibly stressful times. It's, you know, some days hard to get up and make a cup of coffee, much to think about, you know, saving your housing or what you have to file or what you have to keep track of. And mm-hmm. really, the stress is taking a toll, and it's, it's very confusing for people. And I think that's a really good thing that we can't emphasize enough is um, that you have to apply for this two-month extension. It's not just granted. Right. And it, well, it, it applies only to those people who have already applied. Okay. So there's still a whole, um, you know, swath of people. If you have not, if you did not apply for that federal assistance, you don't fall under this particular bill. That's why the push for eviction moratorium is still um, uh-huh. really critical. No, it is, because if, if, if the eviction moratorium just ends, even if you have till February 22 to fix your rent that's still thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for people that are subsisting on nothing right now right um right. and so that's a real that's a real uh issue uh yeah, current now, rent is still due july 1st and rent is still due july 1st so make sure to to uh to be prepared for that uh also there's a historic heat wave happening uh and we are going to be looking at um 107 108 degree temperatures uh, my question is, is how can listeners help vendors uh, survive during the heat wave? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's probably common sense for a lot of us. Whatever makes us feel better in the heat wave is going to make our vendors feel better. Uh, obviously, bottled water, always valuable. Cold bottled water is really important. Uh, maybe you have an extra umbrella, you know, help that. Give that to a vendor or to someone you know whose house lives just as a matter of shade. Um, if, if you are a business owner with a vendor selling outside, you know, help let them come inside periodically to cool mm-hmm. off, uh, give them breaks, uh, just a common sense health concern. Um, you know, if you, if you know someone who's out, um, again, water is always great. Any kind of cooling device is always great. Misters, hats, essential hats are fantastic, uh, to keep the sun off your head and just in general, keep you cooler. Um, lots of great things that you can do, just reaching out. Uh, little things help a lot. If one of the vendors that has uh, already has a hat or something, they know somebody who can use uh, what you've provided. So it's, uh, any help is, is really appreciated. And I just thought of something, too. If you have the means, you should go and get little travel size sunscreens and pass them out as well. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. It, and also, you know, I understand. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, move an inch if it's 107 degrees. So if people aren't going to go outside and, and aren't going to be able to see their vendor on Saturday, make a point of going out on, on Sunday or Monday or whenever you can get out and, and pick up your copy. It's a great addition. And, um, you know, if you make that special effort, they really appreciate it. Maybe the sale doesn't come out on Saturday, but if they can get it on Monday or Tuesday, it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And and Street Roots really helps people get off the street into housing and uh, beyond being a great publication is a wonderful organization. Uh, we are extremely happy that you were able to make it today uh, and we appreciate you. Is there any way that anybody can get more information about Street Roots? Oh, absolutely. Go to streetroots.org. We are on the web. We have a great website. Check us out. Okay, fantastic. Streetroots.org, Joanne Zuhl, uh, editor of Street Roots. You're fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we will be back in just one moment. You're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland, X-Ray in the morning. This is Belinda.
Thanks to Joanne for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.